All right, everyone, namaste and welcome. My name is Maria Turco, founder and chairwoman of Honor Yoga and the Honor Yoga Foundation. I know I say this all the time, but I'm really excited about our guest today, um, Mina Taylor. And I, I really wanna tell you why I'm excited because particularly at, at Honor Yoga, you know, and the Honor Yoga Foundation, our mission is to deliver an authentic an accessible yoga experience that unlocks, you know, the peace and the purpose in every individual. And this woman is really an architect of that last part of our mission statement, you know, really an advocate for helping people unlock their full potential. Quick side note, one of the basis is for starting Honor Yoga is to unlock the potential in every individual owner to run a successful studio for the community by someone in the community. And teacher training is all about finding your gifts as a person and unlocking your potential. And so, you know, I think Mina and I have been soul sisters. We're connected here in this lifetime. She's the founder of Energize Your Voice. It's a New York-based communication coaching and training firm. And she is releasing her book. So definitely support her. Look for it out on bookshelves soon, any day now, called The Confident Body, which is a functional approach to unlocking your full potential. And so I'm going to let her talk about all the great things that she does. So without further ado, Mina, tell your audience about you. We can't wait to chat oh, with wow. you. <laughs> <laughs> what an energetically generous introduction. I'm so grateful. So I will, I'll, I'll give a little bit of background about me. I'll sort of chat about what Energize Your Voice does and our philanthropic arm. And then I cannot wait to share about the confident body, which is really a uh, culmination, culminating piece around my almost two decades of doing this work. So my background, I started as an actress. I went to NYU and then got my master's degree in acting with a concentration in speech and vocal production. And I highlight that specifically because because it's a functional approach. It's all about anatomy and the physiology of how we ultimately move what's in our head out into the world. How can we do that freely? How can we do that effortlessly? Speaking should be as easy as breathing. So how do we develop these really simple, subtle habits to allow us to navigate our circumstances with the most authentic and effortless energy and activation possible? And I also want to talk about what acting is. So people think about acting as performance, or putting on a character. And there absolutely is that component to it. But at its core foundation, all acting is, is truth-telling with strategy. So when we think about entering into a yoga room and guiding people through an asana practice, what is the narrative and how can I show up and really be purposeful and present in the execution of that. And so that's really how my whole background started. And then I started Energize Your Voice almost eight years ago. Oh my gosh. And it's obviously evolved as things do, but it really started with this notion of how do we create happier, higher performing people? How do we let people into practices and behaviors that give them the experience of being seen, 
and being heard and being able to share thoughts, wants, feelings, and needs, as well as receive other people's thoughts, wants, feelings, and needs. What does that look like on an individual level, as well as on a professional and organizational level? So at Energize Your Voice, we use play. So we use improv and acting techniques to really guide people into that space of aliveness, that space of taking risk, shifting outside of our comfort zone to understand what our true expressive capability is. And so that's been really remarkable to see how that not only impacts the confidence of individuals, but really as a team dynamic, how does that inspire people to think more creatively, to activate those muscles of imagination and innovation? And in that time, during that time, sort of at the very start of my company, I as well started uh, practicing yoga. I specifically practice Ashtanga yoga in the Mysore style. And so one of the guiding principles that I use in my life and in my work is the quote, practice and all is coming. And so I, I really believe in that as a foundational methodology for everything, whether it's play, you know, whether it's piano, <laughs> whatever it is, practice and all is coming. And uh, so when we look at that as a resource for our corporate clients, we then had to think to ourselves, well, how how can we now democratize this experience of empowerment to meet and reach the communities that we're directly serving? So we implemented our philanthropic or nonprofit arm to our organization called Buy One, Give One. So any corporate training that we sell, we then gift a training to one of our nonprofit partners. Last year, we saw tremendous impact. We saw about a 79% increase in those employees' ability to really spread the vision and mission of what their organization is trying to do. And so that feels really Really, really empowering for me as a, as a founder. And then I sort of started a year ago on this journey toward writing this book. And the notion of this book is really, we are all capable of living in a confident body. Confidence does not have a face. Confidence is not something we are. It's something that's perceived by others. And what is ultimately perceived is not big, expressive, bold, Tony Robbins-like energy, you know, <laughs> uh, and maybe that's it. But it can also, and we see this a lot in yoga, teachers, it can also be simple and subtle and still because all that really is required to meet the needs to give the impression of confidence is open body, availability to breath, free expression of vocalization, and of course, the added condition of play, that space of aliveness. And so I, I track that. I help people step into that place in the book, and I help people step into that place in my work. And so I'm just really grateful to be here and share some insights with your audience. That's great. And I love how you're, you know, you are speaking to our audience of yogis and yoga teachers and bringing your work to this audience. But just in general, you know, I'm sure you see similarities, people that come and work with you. What are the commonalities of like barriers, right? That people who come to you finding consistent stories or things that we tell ourselves, you know, because the mind always makes up stories. I say the mind is a liar. <laughs> And, um, you know, we live in our minds every day. We should make it a nice place to live for sure. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I guess, what are some of the commonalities that you see that the people come to you and the barriers or the hurdles that you're working with them on? I think if we're speaking in really general terms, it's everything the ego tells us to stay safe. <laughs> so it's, oh, I shouldn't, or, well, I feel like I should, even though spoiler, that's not authentic to me, or people, people will reject me, or um, I, I think I'll just look stupid. I, I don't know if I can do that. 
that's not capable. I'm not capable of doing that. And of course, in these instances, we're talking about public speaking. We're talking about stepping into the shoes of leadership. We're talking about really becoming a community advocate or advocate of change and a change maker. And people see that as sort of this on a pedestal opportunity, and then they other that experience. And so we create these narratives of distance from what we see versus what we presume or instill in our internal narrative that we're actually capable of achieving. And honestly, there's some variation of those narratives over and over and over, whether it's a CEO walking into a boardroom or whether it's, you know, a recent college grad going into their first interview, or whether it's someone trying to get back in the dating scene and really sort of meet the needs of meeting new people. The narratives are consistent across the board, which is really remarkable, right? Because that all that says to us is like, we are unique, but we're not unique. <laughs> we are we are deeply predictable, even though our internal narrative makes it feel like we are suffering in silence and we are lonely islands of mm -hmm. incapability. Uh, mm -hmm. And so that's the narrative, but ultimately that is absolutely not true. And to really, Maria, echo what you said, I believe that our bodies are smarter than our brains. Mm -hmm. And so we can allow, we can honor the narrative of our brains, but ultimately our bodies will tell us when truth is present. Yes, yeah, I've spoken like a true yogi, Mina, for sure, right? Um, the body is the pathway to the mind, for sure. I love it. So when I was reading, you know, your answer to, hey, if you could have a billboard, um, what, what, what would it say? I literally read it and um, started laughing. I almost fell off my chair. Um, <laughs> Spoiler alert, we, you know, we asked me, and if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? And she, it's so funny because it's a little similarity to what, what we put as honor yoga. It's just breathe, but yours is breathe out of your asshole, which I, again, was rolling, laughing on the floor when I read it. So you have to explain to us what, why, <laughs> you know, I, uh, I forgot that I put that. So thank you. <laughs> It's one of my many phrases. And I say this to people and it makes total sense to me. And then some people are like, wait, like out? Or like, do you want me to like suck in? Like, what does that mean? And uh, I, I think I can put it in a different way. And I heard another public speaking coach say this once and I thought it was pretty adept. And uh, it's, if you feel like you could fart at any moment, you're doing something right. And so really when we say breathe into the asshole, it's really about really meeting that root chakra, really meeting that pelvic floor with the breath. For example, when you're in child's pose and you feel the glutes expand because the breath is now in the lower body. So many people develop habits. We probably see this early on in our yoga practice of breathing in that upper tier, right? The chest breathing, which sort of perpetuates this state of mild anxiety in their fight or flight space by activating the sympathetic nervous system if we want to get really scientific. And so breathing in the asshole gives a very clear visual touch point. <laughs> it's a little <laughs> bit playful and it's absolutely true. You'll feel the anus expand. So there you go. There you go. I love it. I might even use that when I teach my next yoga class. Do it. I encourage that. <laughs> so, and I love your answer to this question and I want to dive into it a little bit more. You know, you said that the most important thing that you've learned in your life and, you know, what your life was before learning it is that you're utterly insignificant. At first I read it and I was like, oh, that's, that's a little sad. And then you went on to say, you know, that you thought it mattered, but it really doesn't. And it's a, it's a liberating revelation. And I, I think you're talking about like not operating in the ego. 
could be very liberating is to understand that the ego is not attached, but I'm curious, I'm really excited to hear what you have to say about that. I find it really, really intriguing. It really is about the ego for sure. And I think another way to think about it, how I reflect on it is care deeply. This is a lot of cursing here. Care deeply, don't give a shit. And so what I mean by that is we can operate in our world with tremendous purpose. We can engage with people with deep compassion, but the not giving shit is where we can interrupt the ego's attachment to outcome Mm -hmm. or attachment to intrinsic value based on the response. Right. And so when we think about this notion of utter insignificance, it liberates the boundary, right? So it's not me autonomously operating, having to gain acceptance by sort of integrating into other people's boundaries. We are all part of this universal system. Mm -hmm. And me as a grain of sand within that universal system, I don't matter. I, I don't matter right? I matter to me. (laughs) My family loves me. My friends love me, but I ultimately don't matter. If I die, the world will continue. Mm -hmm. And sort of lowering the expectation of operating at sort of this level of perfection all the time, which by the way, does not exist in the realm of human behavior, but operating in this landscape of trying to meet this sort of presumed level of perfect execution at all times is really about not failing. It's really about always looking good. It's really about having to protect our ego from failure, flaw, obstacle, adversity, and really this notion of I'm insignificant means I can fail, the world will go on, and I also will go on. Right. Love it. So true. It could be really exhausting to not live in that world. And, you know, it's a cause of mental illness and disease and suicide. It's really the root cause of so many things that are ultimately non-sustainable. So I love your philosophy. If you live in that realm, it's this ability of living lighter. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. People ask me all the time, you know, kind of like, well, Nana, you know, you're like, you just have like this S and I'm like, I don't have anything. I actually have less. Right. Right. I have less. I have less on my shoulders. I have less presumed responsibility for your well-being, right? Even though I care deeply about your well-being, it is not ultimately my responsibility. What's within my control, what's out of my control. It just I have less. And as a result, I can now allow for more, right? There's more space. Yeah. One thing I've been saying to my daughters, I have a 13 year old and 16 year old is like, I want us to talk about weekly themes at the Turco residence. So our weekly theme this week, you just remind me is what's in your circle of concern versus what's in your circle of influence. And so whenever we talk about something this week, they're tired of hearing me say it because it's already Friday. Is that in your circle of concern or your circle of influence? Meaning that Is this something that by putting it in the circle of concern, you're just going to ruminate over and there's nothing you're going to be able to do about it? Or is this in your circle of influence where it's truly, you know, sustainable, meaningful and easy, (laughs) right? Um, Because to live in that circle of influence is where we want to live, not in this continuous circle of concern. And so, you, you know, you kind of reminded me of that. I love I love what you just said. I think that that's, you know, amazing. Oh, and I just want to really commend you for instilling this in your young women from the get, which will only allow them to enter into adulthood with such a deep sense of agency, free of arrogance, right? And like 
so I just want to take a second to just really honor you for that. That's really amazing. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I also want to just tell you that I love what you're doing, right? <laughs> because I just came off of, I won Ernst Young Winning Woman of the Year, and it was an amazing week I spent in Palm Springs at Strategic Growth Forum. And I learned that, you know, women founders receive less than 3% of the venture capital out there with Black and minorities getting less than 2%, actually less than 1.5%. And so I think that the work that you're doing, especially for underrepresented populations, women, when you talk about raising strong daughters, is really teaching them, you know, to find their story, find their voice, because it's been muted or not appreciated. And so for for the women and the minorities out there, what would you say to them about this type of work and how impactful is it? And what, what have you seen in terms of changes and impact based on the work that you're doing with the, that group? Well, I'll have to come back to this notion that we think we're suffering in silence. Mm -hmm. And there's so much shame around these narratives, around feeling like we're lacking, like we are in a scarcity of our own humanity. And by really bringing it into a a public forum for dialogue Mm -hmm. sort of creates this universality around the experience, which diminishes its perceived consequence. Right. So that's one thing. The other thing is giving people tools on how to shift habits and behaviors that have been learned, embodied, and now have become unconscious around the systems under which they were conditioned. Mm-hmm. So when we think about, for example, disenfranchised communities or women growing up in the patriarchy, how in- entrenched that is. And I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to stand up on my soapbox here. It's factual right? How entrenched that is in so many different aspects of the way in which we feel agency to step up and communicate even in moments of challenge. And then giving people these simple tools, simple tools. And and the way that we work, Maria, this is why it's called a functional approach to unlocking your full potential rather than a psychological approach to unlocking your full potential. Because I don't need to understand what my relationship to the patriarchy is in order to give myself agency by creating new habits around how I show up in that space. Right. It's all about the habits. Just showing up to your mat every day is the habit. And the habit of the practice and the functional exercises is what creates the change, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and then being able to see them feel a sense of relief, feel a sense of empowerment and community, feel sort of these these small doses of possibility, you know, sort of being injected. And then all of a sudden there is this level of desire and creativity that can now get incorporated into the fold because they've moved outside of this perceived personal survival mode. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. So this next question I love, I don't think that my parents know what I do for a living. (laughs) And so to our audience, you know, listening to your parent, how would your parents describe what you do for a living? It's an interesting question that we should all ask ourselves and maybe even ask them if your parents are still around and see how they answer it. So yeah, go ahead. I I freaking love that question. Cause like I said, I've been, I've been running my company for almost eight years and then coaching for several, several years before that. And I think it was only um, back in August, like two months ago, three months ago, where my dad finally was like, oh, this is what you do. And he like framed it back to me. He was like, you teach like confidence and communication and how to really like influence people in a sales capacity or whatever. And I was like, yeah, dad nailed it. You know, it's like, I think he, because I studied acting, 
I think that's the context under which my family has sort of perceived how I've built my company, not realizing that I've really moved into a change management, change maker space. And although there's some performative elements there, it has nothing to do with acting. Again, it has to do with truth telling with strategy. And so I think finally it clicked for him and he understood, but that was again, very recent. (laughs) That's funny. I love that. So what does it look like to work with you? I'm certainly intrigued. Like, tell us a little bit about your process and how does one work with Mina Taylor? It's, uh, it depends. So as an individual, I have two coaching programs that I, I work with called the Voice and Action Program, which is really about body, breath, voice integration, storytelling, mental agility, play, and then sort of the confidence to meet those more formalized engagements like public speaking, for example. And then I have for a founder like yourself, something called Create Your Signature Talk, which is around creating sort of that really, really distilled narrative of your very essential why, building that out into a full talk and then delivering that talk. And then I have, as it relates to my book, a group coaching course just for women called the Confident Body Course. And we're just finishing up one cohort now. We'll start another cohort in uh, late February. So you can always check out my website for that. And that's really about how do we understand understand sort of these behaviors of confidence? What does it feel like to incorporate play? How do I think about that really practically? And you'll appreciate this from a yoga perspective when we think about the drishti, right? It's like, where is my focus? Well, similarly, how do we incorporate habits of the observation, objective observation Mm -hmm. in our daily habits and practices? And that can be as simple as how do I pick up a glass of water? And so really getting people to think about their conscious functioning, their conscious engagement in their lives in an entirely different revitalized way. Love it. Like functional mindset living. Love it. Love it. (laughs) So my last and favorite question, what Mina is your best tip for all of us and how we can make the world a better place and, and why? I think I'll go back to one of my favorite sayings that I always uh, hang my hat on in terms of a philosophy, which is live your truth, be your truth, speak your truth unapologetically all the time, as long as it's coming from love. So give yourself permission to say yes, give yourself permission to say no, give yourself permission to engage in inquiry, give yourself permission to ask for clarification, to set boundaries, to demand what you need without the fear of coming off as aggressive, without the fear of being rejected. Because again, all of that is outside of your control. What is within your control is how you communicate that into the world. And so we, I, I call the mouth, the, the threshold of moving thought to thing. And so if we really think about love, compassion, being received versus rejected as our primary goal, then we can have incredible agency to not only unapologetically speak our truth, but also do it with a high level of emotional intelligence and compassion. I love it, Mina. That's perfect to end with because you are a change maker in this world, a light worker, a person that unlocks the gifts in other people. And we're just so grateful to have you on this earth at this time with us on this journey. The light in me honors the light in you. Thank you for shedding your wisdom and your grace with us today. We really appreciate it. I received that fully. And thank you so much for holding space for this. I'm happy to be here. 
So last point, where can people find your book and how do they get in touch with you? <laughs> Great question. So the easiest place for all things, fun, where to find me on social media, how to get on my mailing list, how to get book updates. Uh, Pre-sale is on Monday, uh, full launch comes in May getting updates on my group coaching course and all my group coaching programs, head to my website, minnataylor.com. That's M-I-N-N-A-T-A-Y-L-O-R.com. Thank you, Mina. And thank you to our audience for giving Mina the platform and support her and she, because she's supporting you. Namaste.